0: to start and open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be first and um, <clears throat> we started this last week or uh, last Sunday uh, working through this series on authentic community and it's interesting when we think about uh, authenticity, right? that which is authentic or that which is true, um, that could be kind of a challenge today. Would you agree? I, it could be challenged to know there's so much out there that is a, a knockoff brand or something that's fake or it might seem real, but yet it's not. And so to illustrate this a little bit and to start us off with a little bit of humor as well, I, uh, I found this slideshow. Of these knockoff places that are similar and yet not authentic to what we wouldn't know that they are. OK, so the first one is uh pizza. Huh? I suppose this is if you're uh, undecided about what's on your pizza. Pizza. Hut Instead of pizza hut. OK. This is this exists. And uh, the next one. Sunbuck's coffee. And I don't really know what, how good their coffee might be, but you could go to Sunbuck's if you're tired of Starbucks. And uh, the next one, this is if you're fed up with social media, but you're still hungry. You can head on over to Face Food. Face Food. I have never seen or heard of this, but it exists, Okay. And if you need a little bit of sharpness to your baking soda, head on over and get some arm and hatchet. As opposed to arm and hammer. Okay? Arm and hatchet. And this one I laughed at. Google toilet paper. And I don't know what more to say about that than that. Okay? And uh, the puma of the sea. Tuna. If any of you are familiar with the Puma logo, it's the same thing, just with a tuna fish. So, anyway, these are, this is just an example of things that you might see and go, wait, that looks like something else I know, but it's really not the same thing. It's different. It's, it might even be strange in comparison. I don't know. And, while these things may seem like the real thing, they're no doubt different in their own unique way. Now, what I'm getting at here is this can often be the way we view community. We convince ourselves that the community we have with our friends or the community we have with our coworkers, or the community we have with you fill in the blank is enough for me. But the question we really have to start asking is, is it real? Or could it be that we have fabricated our own version of what God intended to be holy, life-giving community? And that's really what we're seeking to discover and uncover throughout this series. And we're starting in Acts chapter 2 as the baseline for all of that. Because this is the first time that we see the impact of the church have profound influence on the people around. And as we mentioned this briefly last week, this is coming off of Jesus' death, His resurrection, and now what we call His ascension. That is, He literally left and went up and He told His disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But this followed his very specific command in Matthew chapter 28, which he said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And right after this, the disciples go and Peter preaches this sermon at what's, what's known as the Sermon at Pentecost. And we see near the end of his message, he identifies for them in Acts chapter two, verse thirty six. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he brings this first full circle. And verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, that should be the question we are asking every time we open up God's word, every time we face conviction of some kind where we realize this something in my life is not right. Something in my life is not correct. Something is not lining up with God's desire. We should go, what shall we do? Okay? Now, we're gonna practice that because I'm a action step kind of person. So I'm gonna have you all verbally ask that question. I'm gonna count to three and you're gonna say, what shall we do? Alright? One, two, three. What shall we do? Ooh, you guys are good at that. Okay. And his response, Peter's response was, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that's stage one, alright? And so if you're here today, and you voice that question, in light of what God's Word says, and you're going, what What should I do? What should I do with God's Word? What should I do with these truths, That's where you start. And for the rest of us, the challenge goes beyond that to where now, if we are stating, I'm a follower of Jesus, the answer to what shall we do becomes a lot more involved. A lot more needy in the sense of, I need to pursue Jesus every day in every aspect of my life and seek to serve Him and glorify Him in each of these areas. And this establishes the need for us to be in community with each other. Now, jump forward to verse 41. And it says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people responded to this and came to faith in Christ. But it didn't stop there. Now church, this is where we're in danger and why we are such desperate need to study and think about what is true, authentic, real community look like. Because if we simply stop there, And say, oh, you repented, you believe in the name of Jesus, even you were baptized, you're added. And that's where it ends. All of a sudden, we have just set people out on one of the most challenging journeys they're going to face to live as a follower of Jesus in a world that is adamantly opposed to the things that Jesus communicated. And we say, oh, you did it, You're, you're on your own now. Okay, that's, that's what happens when we fail to live in community with each other. Is we bring people into a place where they say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then we say, all right, you're, you're on your own. Do your own thing. You've got it. Verse 42 in Acts chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now this is a window, okay? This is a picture into the reality of what authentic community rooted in the gospel of Jesus looks like. Now there's several factors here that you could take into account. The fact that this is new. This has not been seen before on this scale. And so it wasn't that they had all these other churches that were preaching this and it became commonplace or might I say it wasn't as much of a threat that the people would have become apathetic to hearing these truths. But we did see that happen with the law, didn't we? And why the Pharisees were so rigid And the people, even going back to the Old Testament and looking at the nation of Israel and God was present in their midst and the people just became apathetic. They they didn't care. And so now we live in a day and age where many of us don't know what it's like to be in a home where there wasn't multiple Bibles present. We live in a day and age where I can access a Bible at any time. Right here. We live in a day and age where we have lost the value of God's word oftentimes. And so when it comes down to the question of why doesn't community happen like we see it here, it's often because our own view or our own attitude towards the things of God has become calloused. And so I want us to delve into this, seeking to open our eyes and not just hear what the Word of God says, but to put it into practice, as the book of James tells us, to do what it says. And I trust that as we seek to do that well, that we will see transformation. We will see people come to faith in Christ because it's no longer rooted in myself, it's rooted in who Jesus is. And so today, specifically last week, we talked about authentic community is rooted in the gospel. And today, our main idea, that is, if, if you get nothing else out of this, I want you to get this, is that authentic community is rooted in the commonality that we need a savior. Okay. It's rooted in the commonality that we need a Savior. Now, this you could take and say, well, how is this any different than last week's? Well, it's more specific in nature than last week's as it was broad. And what I mean by that is we're going to focus on verse 42 where it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching, and that is essentially that they were rooted into that which was true. That which they knew to be true based on what was taught them from the apostles directly. Now, the word devoted specifically means exerting great effort to persist in doing something. It indicates action that is continuous and habitual. In other words, you can't be devoted to something and only do it scattered here and there throughout your week. You can't be devoted to something and it only be a side portion to your focus. Because if that becomes reality, you're no longer devoted to that. It's just something that you do. And in this sense, they were devoted To what the apostles were teaching. Now what's interesting about this. And I want to highlight this just briefly. Because I've had people ask me this question before. Who are the apostles? And how do we know who the apostles are? Or who is even qualified to be an apostle? And uh, just to get you guys participating. I'm going to count three. And you're going to ask the question. Who are the apostles? Okay. One, two, three. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So I'm going to give you three qualifications we see in Scripture for the apostles. All right. The first one is they had to have been personally called by Christ. They had to have been personally called by Christ. And we see this with each one of Jesus' disciples. If you go and read through the Gospels... Now, we talked about this last week. The Gospels were recognized as the first books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Alright? The first four books of the New Testament. Because they highlight the story of Jesus. The story of Christ and His ministry. And so if you read through those, you'll identify Jesus specifically called His disciples. And we see the same thing happen to the apostle Paul, all right, in Acts chapter 9, when Jesus himself confronts Paul on the road to Damascus and he specifically intentionally calls him. Now, the second qualification for an apostle is that they had to have been taught by Jesus directly, Now, some of you automatically are thinking in your minds, well, what about the Apostle Paul? Because his ministry was very much post-Jesus. Yes, but he would have been alive and around and very aware of Jesus' teachings at the time that he was ministering here on earth. And we know for a fact from all the disciples' walkings with Jesus and going with him and their questions, oftentimes questions that made us go, what are you thinking? That they were with him all the time. The third qualification being that they saw him alive after his resurrection. That they were an eyewitness of Jesus risen from the dead. And if you want a specific place where you see these three things present, you can jot down Acts chapter 1, verses 17, 22, and 25. And just read all of Acts chapter 1, for that matter. And in this, you see the discussion amongst the disciples, the 11 disciples that were left after Judas had betrayed Jesus. And they're talking about who is qualified to be someone to fill his spot. And they identify all three of these areas in the individuals that end up stepping into that role. Okay, And so I highlight that because we're going to see in a minute... We're going to turn to 1 John and we're going to see an example of why this is so important. And this is one of the things that really sets apart the Bible as opposed to other religious writings. And what I mean by that is the eyewitness accounts of what took place are prevalent throughout Scripture. Paul references that. Peter references that. John references that. And it's one of the greatest defenses for how we can know that the Bible is true and trustworthy is because it wasn't written by people years later saying that, well, we had some sort of revelation from God or from an angel separate from that. There is much of Scripture that is written by people who were there. They saw it. They witnessed His glory. They witnessed His death and then His resurrection. And we have to take that into consideration when we're talking with someone who's asking the question, why should I believe what the Bible says? My answer to that is often, well, don't take my word for it, but take the word of the guys who were there. And let's see what they had to say about it. Now the people in Acts chapter 2 had decided that they were going to find their commonality in something far different. Yet there's something significant here about what the apostles were teaching. So let's turn together. We're going to turn to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to seek to understand in that <clears throat> why authentic community is rooted in the truth and uh, specifically the apostles teaching. First John one. So if you get all the way back to the end of your Bible, if you get to Revelation, flip back, not too far. You have first, second, third John then Jude, then Revelation. First John chapter one. And I'm going to read this whole chapter for us. says that which was from the beginning. Here's that testimony which we have heard. Everyone say heard. "Heard." Which we have seen with our eyes. Everyone say seen. Which we looked upon and have touched. Everyone say "touched." touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, pause a minute. That's a pretty profound statement as he's opening up this letter. To say, this isn't just me writing this because I feel like writing this. These are things that we saw, we heard, we touched. Physically, we were there. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Underline this line. So that you too may have fellowship with us. That's really important. We're going to come back to that. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Again, everyone say heard. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray together before we jump further into this. Father, I pray that as this text comes to life, that we would root into these truths and that it would impact and challenge our idea of what community looks like. And Lord, that ultimately you would be glorified in your church. And as we go from this place, you would be glorified in our community in our homes, in our families, and in our personal lives as followers of Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen. Now, to emphasize and go back for a second to verse chapter, verse 3 that says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ understand that the fellowship that's talked about here is twofold. That is, it is horizontal in nature as it relates to each other, and yet it is vertical in nature as it relates to our relationship with God. Now, this is important because it is not from the horizontal relationship that somehow we gain a better relationship with God. It is rather that from our relationship with God, we should be Growing in community horizontally. Now there's a big difference between those two because you see if I start and I say I'm going to focus horizontally here before I've really devoted myself here. Then I make community what I want it to be. And then get upset with God when it doesn't pan out the way I think it should. As opposed to me saying, I'm going to focus first off on this vertical relationship I have with God. Taking into account the truths of His Word. Rooting into truth. First. And oftentimes what you'll find is, the more you root into that truth, the more you are convicted and challenged by things that the broader culture is not. And all of a sudden... Those who you previously had really authentic, what you felt like was authentic community with becomes not so real. And that's not somehow because that person's treating you differently or you're treating them differently, but it's rather because your eyes have shifted away from the horizontal to that which is vertical in nature. Authentic community is rooted in the commonality that we need a savior Understand this, church, that when we come to a place of humility, and we talked about that last week in Romans chapter 12, of fully recognizing my desperate need for Jesus to be my Savior, that has to start with me recognizing that I'm a sinner. And as these verses so clearly state... God is light, verse 5, and in him is how much darkness? No, everyone say no. That means, alright, a little fact for you here, little biblical language lesson for you here. Guess what the word no means in Greek? No, it means none, okay? There's no challenge there, but this is, this is, a really crucial thing for us to get. Because if there is no darkness within God at all, that means there can't, there cannot ever be any darkness within God at all. And so if we loosely hold the idea of heaven and eternity for just anyone and everyone, are we really acknowledging that there cannot be any darkness? There can be no dark presence within God at all? And all of a sudden we realize that we go, oh, I can't do this on my own because there's definitely some dark thoughts that go around my mind. Or there's definitely some dark things in my past that I kind of hope are just gone. And yet they're still there. And this develops, should develop in us, this recognition that, oh, I need a Savior. Now with that in mind... There are several observations we can pull from the rest of 1 John 1 regarding some significant differences between community that is authentic and community that's not. And so I want to highlight those. So what's the difference between authentic community and unauthentic community? First one, unauthentic, I can walk in darkness and be okay. Look at verse six with me of first John chapter one says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's a heavy verse. Because it puts into account the reality that if I say I have communion, I have fellowship with God, and yet I am living in continuous perpetual sin, I lie about my ability to have fellowship with God. So unauthentic community steps back and says, ah, I can walk in darkness. No big deal. It's okay. And the community around me doesn't care. Oh, you know what? It's okay. We all do that. You just do you. Those might be some phrases that you hear in unauthentic community. Okay? Now, flip that. Authentic community that's rooted in truth will call my darkness to light. Now, this is a hard thing for us to get around, wrap around in our minds, because it means not just that I need to be okay with calling people out. It also means I need to be okay with other people calling me out. This is not a one sided deal. That's the thing about community. It's a circle mentality. There's no one that is farther than the other person. We're all in the same boat. And so unauthentic community is going to go, ah, you do you. Authentic community is going to root into Romans 6, verse 1, which says, should you continue in sin that grace may abound?" By no means. And not only is authentic community going to be committed to that themselves, they're going to desire that you would be committed to that as well. Next thing, unauthentic community, I can claim to have no sin nature. Look at verse eight with me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Once again, this shifts gears just a little bit. In one sense, I'm walking in darkness. Maybe I'm aware of it. Maybe I'm not. In this case, I'm just saying... I don't have a sin nature. I don't have a problem. This is totally normal. I can claim to have no sin nature. In an unauthentic community, that's okay. And maybe even it's normal... For me to say... This is just who I am. I can claim to have no sin nature. Now, in authentic community... Rooted in truth, it will be built upon the truth that all have sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Everyone say all. Hey, no one's left out of that. And that goes back to develop the big idea for today in that authentic community is rooted in the truth that we all need a savior. The next thing, unauthentic community, I can avoid calling my sin, sin. How many of you have heard that in today's day and age? Where something that is sin is not called sin. Have you heard that? Have you seen that? Put your hand up if you've seen that. I want, Okay. Church, I will tell you right now that no matter where the culture goes, I will call sin, sin. And I preface that to you because I want you to keep me accountable to that. And there are many places around our country that have pulled back in huge ways when it comes to those things. I pray that we don't step down that same road. And you're going to have to fire me before I will allow some of the things that are allowed in the church to be present here. And again, I preface that to you because you need, I want to live in community with you. And you need to keep me accountable to this. And this alone. Unauthentic community, I can avoid calling my sin sin. But authentic community, get this, this may be one of the most important things we draw from this. And it's rooted in 1 John 1, 9, which many people can quote, but I don't think we consider this a part of community as we should. And that is an authentic community. It is a place where confession is common, not condemned. It's where confession is common, not condemned. And this is rooted in the promise of verse 9 where it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, this isn't just an evangelistic verse. We tend to only use this in a setting where we're trying to share the gospel with someone. And that's good, okay? Don't stop doing that. But understand that this application has to be lived out in community where we already know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We have to live this out in a way where we say, I I need to practice this. Confession cannot be something that I just do when I come to faith in Christ. Because I continue to sin sometimes. I continue to walk in darkness sometimes. I continue to struggle with my flesh and so if I continue to struggle with those things, then confession should be something that becomes more a part of our community, not less a part of it. And this starts by us admitting that we're broken people, okay? And so often we, I was just talking with our worship team about this beforehand. We, we come in and we, man, we put on a face. And we say, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. And we're not good. And the only way that God can be allowed to be at the forefront of our of everything we do is if we're real about everything we do. And being willing to admit when I've screwed up, when I've messed things up, when I'm walking in a direction I shouldn't be walking in, I need to have people around me that are willing to come alongside and say, Hey, I love you, but we need to turn a different direction. We need to go a different way. And in fact, you can jot this reference down in Galatians 6.1. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. That, that's what community is about a place where confession is common, not condemned. And that's got to be something we shift. And so we come to the end of something like this and look at verse 7 again in 1 John 1 where it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with what does it say there? Each other, one another. Now isn't it interesting that in the midst of that, Our logical assumption would be coming off of verse six, where it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Church, this ties right back into the first part of this first John chapter one passage passage. Where the desire is that as they hear what is proclaimed, they too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It comes back to how we view community. And what is our priority? Do we prioritize our vertical relationship with God first or the horizontal relationships first? We start here so often. And we've got to shift our focus. So how do we apply this? The one thing I would encourage you with is evaluate whether or not your primary community has a commonality of needing a savior. Now, understand and hear that it's, I say, your primary community. Here's what I mean by that. The people... That you are most vulnerable with. The people. Who when you're hurting. You go to. The people who when you're struggling. You go to. The people. Who when. You're in a crisis. Are right there. Does that community have a commonality. Of needing a saviour. And the reason I say primary community is because I believe firmly that you need to have relationships with people outside of the body of Christ. Otherwise, how are we supposed to share the gospel? You need to have friends who don't believe in the name of Jesus. Coworkers that you seek to get to know who don't believe in the name of Jesus, but understand those individuals, those groups of people cannot be. Your primary life-giving source of community. Why? Because there is not a commonality that is rooted in the truth that you so desperately need to grow and thrive as a follower of Jesus. And so what does it look like? To be in a community that has that commonality of needing a savior. Here's a couple of examples. Are you in your community striving to be more like Jesus and less like your human selves? Are you striving to be more like Jesus and less like your human selves? Are you in your community actively confessing sin and living in repentance of that sin? Is that a part of it? Are you and your community drawn together by what you do together or by what Jesus has done for you? Are you drawn together simply by the fun time you have together or are you drawn together because of what Christ has done for you and you see that commonality together? Are you and your community consistently challenging each other to grow beyond where you are at today? Those are significant markers and questions that we can ask. Understanding in the whole mix of this. Rooting into the gospel. Rooting into the good news. Everyone say good news. That though we once were alienated from God. We are no longer because we've been brought near to him by the blood of Jesus. And as we draw near to God. My desire, my prayer is that we would see the commonality amongst each other. We would draw near to each other and that God would be the center of all of that. So I challenge you, evaluate your community. Evaluate it in light of what God says this should look like. And pursue community that's rooted into truth. That's rooted into that which we know to be true. And then humble ourselves and pursue Jesus on our own, but also as we gather together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they do, I'm going to have you stand with me and we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are a God of compassion And, Lord, that you extend grace. And yet, Lord, we admit fully that in our own human nature, in our own selves, we can so easily take advantage of that grace which you have given to us so freely. And so, Lord, I pray that not just when we meet together here, but, Lord, outside of this place as we meet together, as we pursue community, that it would be not rooted in our own selves, not rooted in our own human human nature. But, Lord, rather we would root into our vertical relationship with you in a way that our horizontal community is impacted by the truth. Lord, I pray that you give us a boldness and a perseverance to live this out well. As we think about all the people that we connect with and touch base with, even individuals who maybe we've been friends with for years and years, and yet it's not authentic community, Lord, that we would take steps as a church family. To draw those people into authentic community, to be the catalyst which transforms that, and Lord, that by doing so, we would begin to see a community that is drastically changed and transformed by the good news that we need us, that we have a Savior. And so, Lord, we commit this to you. We commit ourselves to you in a way that says we desire to follow after these truths. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.